Hello, and thanks for tuning in to New Covenant Conversations. This is episode four, and it is a continuation of episode three on hermeneutics. This is part two of that episode. If you weren't able to catch that episode, please go back and listen, and then you can pick up right here. We hope you enjoy the remainder of the episode, and please find us on Facebook, uh, give us a comment or like, um, check us out on iTunes as well, and give us a rating. You can also stay up to date on new episodes coming out. We have several that are ready to go, and uh, they'll be getting into covenant theology, more specifically definitions and the actual covenants of scripture. Thanks again for joining us for New Covenant Conversations. Well, I think at the beginning I, I said, you know, the, the the topic of hermeneutics might not be immediately apparent about how it connects to developing covenant theology. And my hope in in this episode was to try to show how actually that's an important starting point. Um and so, you know, I, I think we've done some of the work of of trying to show that connection. And I want to go a little bit further as well into um into a couple other things. Um, that 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 stem from this in terms of approaches, um, sort of broad approaches to uh, to how we develop our theology. Um, but uh, maybe to hit home, maybe to drive home once more the connection between our interpretive approach to Scripture and how it really is connected to covenant theology. I think of the example, and especially now because you know we're recording this at a time of of unrest in our in our nation in in America um and and for Christians uh you know we're looking for comfort um and we're looking for understanding and we're looking for trying to trying to interpret our times in a sense um it, what i see sometimes especially on social media is in in i think an honest and sincere attempt to do that um we see the very thing that I'm talking about is is misusing scripture in a I think with good intentions, uh, but in a way that really does some damage to what the Bible is actually talking about. So for instance, uh, one of the verses you might see um, commonly today posted on social media is from second Chronicles seven uh, verse fourteen um, where 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 we read, if my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And, um, you know, you understand the intention behind somebody posting something like that, but it actually provides a really helpful example of really missing the mark of interpretation there because that verse has nothing to do with, with America or, or what, um, what's going on in America. It has a particular covenantal context and um and it's speaking specifically about God's covenant relationship with Israel um and uh with with the land that he had promised and given them um and so i mean i think we can see parallels between the unrest and um and 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 being booted out of the land um and wanting to experience that um that rest but when you rip that 
verse and verses like it out of its context, you you make it say something it's not actually saying. Um, and you make it you make it apply to things that it that it's not meant to apply to. It has meaning for Christian believers worldwide. I mean, this is something we need to be sensitive yeah. to. Uh and this is a bold statement. It may challenge people, but I, it needs to be thought about. The United States of America is not the kingdom of God. And the United right, States yeah. of America is not a covenanted nation, not in the biblical mm-hmm. sense of covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so what about Christian believers in China praying right. this verse? Well, see, I believe it can be rightly prayed by the church worldwide right. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. A- and as an appeal to the Lord for help, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not in terms of a nationalistic understanding mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that confuses um, the church and kingdom with a national identity or, or a, a geographical location. Right. Right. So there is a proper way to apply that verse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what a covenantal approach to scripture does. It recognizes the solidarity between what God is doing with the typological kingdom. And I know that's a, um, that's sort of a technical term typological, and we'll get into that later, but um, the kingdom of Israel is, is a type and scripture gives us that language actually to use Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it is a type of 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 the true kingdom um which in this new covenant age is um is manifested in the church and and of course paul says that that's no longer bound um Mm -hmm. by uh national boundaries geographic boundaries but it's from every tongue tribe and nation yeah, throughout people the world. group or language group or that's right. Uh, but it is the ingathering uh, that Christ mm-hmm. is accomplishing from right. all peoples all around the world in all time. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's right. that's how right. encompassing it is. That should excite mm-hmm. us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and so as well intentioned as something like that is, it it really does demonstrate the 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 way that that goes wrong it's misguided mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and can really do damage to your disposition and to your expectations as a christian sure in your particular context and setting and mm-hmm. um and orient you in a way that actually directs you away from christ and towards things that um that are temporary and passing away mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that's the opposite of the effect that um god's covenant and covenantal promises ought to have on us it mm-hmm. ought to orient us to the things that are permanent as yeah. hebrews says the, the comfort that, and hope of the gospel that's right yeah yeah Okay, so uh, I can tell already we're we're going to go a little long, but I really do want to get through um, the last uh, few points of this because I think the conversation naturally goes from you know our orientation and disposition and hermeneutics to ver- two very important it related um, I don't know what you call it, approaches or um, uh, methodologies uh, perhaps yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what the right term for it is, um, but but this is the relationship between biblical theology and systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and Before we go there, let me also mention yeah, one other thing, and that yeah. is uh, hermeneutics and the approach to hermeneutics and the application of hermeneutics will be more specific when we get into specific applications and topics about biblical passages. So you yeah, know, we can yeah. talk about uh, historical narrative. We can talk about prose and poetry. We can talk about mm-hmm. figurative language. We can uh, recognize um, the, the, the method of comparing Scripture with Scripture. 
Uh, so that becomes more specific. I think our conversation today has been somewhat general, trying to lay a groundwork for the fact we believe the scriptures are authoritative, have been providentially preserved for us. They are knowable. They're God's way of communicating to us. But he has set parameters on how we go about doing that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thanks. Um, yeah. And when you're talking in generalities like this, you know, you do run the risk of... Um, of not being as clear as you you need to be, but but um, but hopefully some of the examples to provide some clarity there. Um, but I did want to get into uh, the relationship between biblical and systematic theology. And again, this might seem a little counterintuitive um, because uh, you know you might ask like hermeneutics, what does that really have to do with covenant theology? Well, I actually think that um, that biblical that covenant theology actually gives us a really good example of of how biblical and systematic theology actually work together mm-hmm. and are indispensable to each other as as uh, two approaches to scripture um, and it's something that as we develop covenant theology we're going to rely heavily on biblical theology and systematic theology to do this mm-hmm. um, so just just briefly um, can you give us a, a little bit of an idea of what these two approaches or methods I'm not sure what the right way to characterize them mm-hmm. are um, uh, what what they are and how they relate I think a very good example here is the forest and the trees you know mm-hmm. they're, they're uh, together the forest and we look in systematic theology, to the overarching themes and categories that are presented to us in Scripture. And those can be marked out. I mean, a good example uh, to me is uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith. You know, uh, it's not limited to that, but that's just a good example. Uh, And so there are categories in which we can see themes from the Holy Scripture. Uh, For example, God and the Holy Trinity. Uh, We look at the whole of Scripture in terms of its teaching that. And then we can go to the uh, progressive uh, revelation of Scripture to see more details and more development Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've got God and the Holy Trinity. How about the Incarnation? Uh, There are disputed Mm -hmm. passages uh, of prophecy uh, about the Incarnation. But when you look at the whole of Scripture, you know that that is a theme that is essential to our understanding uh, salvation, the gospel, uh, God's communicating to us through His Son Jesus Christ, and the necessity of not only the Holy Trinity, the second person of the, of the Holy Trinity uh, incarnate uh, with the man Jesus, and avoid all the various heresies that have tried to divide the divine and the human and the one person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, another example to me uh, that is of great benefit is um, in terms of the incarnation, is the application to the question of the origins of life. When does life begin? Well, Mm. we can say uh, without contradiction and absolutely authoritatively based on the incarnation of Jesus Christ that life begins at conception. I don't care how many um, evidences are given for when there's heartbeat, when there is brain activity in uh, uh, the, the baby in the womb at what particular period of gestation, The answer to that, theologically and therefore practically and morally, is that life begins at conception because Mm -hmm. the Son of God became incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mm -hmm. Mary uh, to the human nature of the man Jesus at conception. The human nature Mm -hmm. of the man Jesus didn't exist before because there's no Mm -hmm. preexistence of the soul. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are important theological, uh, systematic, and biblical Mm -hmm. teachings Mm -hmm. that impact a huge issue 
of mm-hmm. moral uh, responsibility and accountability mm-hmm. in our day. So yeah. I hope that gives a good example of how uh, biblical theology and the big themes of Scripture, um, I'm sorry, systematic theology, and biblical theology weaving through uh, the mm-hmm. whole of Scripture are to uh, present us with a beautiful tapestry of mm-hmm. uh, God's revealed will. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've used that analogy, I think, of a tapestry before. I think that is a really good one, a helpful way to 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 show that these are interrelated and connected. Mm-hmm. You know, you you wouldn't think of in order to understand the tapestry, you you wouldn't think of 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 pulling all the threads out. <laughs> right. Right. Good point. But when you but when you when you get up close and, and look at it, you realize that, oh, it's made up of a lot of threads that you can even trace out and follow if you mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Well, it's the same thing, and I think covenant theology actually gives us a helpful example of how these two things work together. Um, I uh, I came across, come across a quote from Gerhard uh, Voss, um, who he was known sort of as the father of biblical theology for for those in our tradition, the Reformed tradition. Um, but uh, but he very much was indebted to systematic theology as well. And he says that systematic theology endeavors to construct a circle, and biblical theology seeks to reproduce a line. And such is true of the relationship between biblical and systematic theology. So dogmatics or systematic theology um, is, is the crown which grows out of all the work that biblical theology can accomplish. Um, and so, you know, I like that analogy of systematic theology being, you know, the crown, the circle, mm-hmm. but but it's an adornment, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's something precious um, that grows out of that that work that can be done in biblical theology, and and vice versa. Systematic theology then goes back and relates to the biblical theology, the particulars, mm-hmm. um, and of course, covenant theology. You think of the progression, the straight progression through Scripture of how the covenants build off of each other and how they progress, you know, one after the other, even chronologically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as you as you work through that progression in Scripture, um, you can come back and realize how, how this is giving us a full picture of our covenant God, our triune covenant God. And it mm-hmm. gives us deeper clarity into very important uh, doctrines like assurance of salvation, like atonement, like uh, the first and last Adam, you know, mm-hmm. all of the these, meaning of the kingdom, these, you know, yeah, exactly. the, the, the yeah. Uh, um, priority of the gospel uh, mm-hmm. in, in uh, forming us. Well, what is the gospel? What is the good news? And that is inseparable from uh, Jesus and the new covenant, uh, Jesus himself, who said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so exactly. those uh, systematic and biblical theology should not be pitted against one another. Also, right. we recognize that even as methodologies, they are not infallible. Uh, and and sure. the content of our um, using those particular methodologies is only as true and sound as we are um, consistent with Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So finally, I think we take a few minutes then um, to 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 round out this discussion and 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 set down a, a guardrail. Hopefully, we've we've set out down some guardrails already, um, but one final one that uh, that is helpful to have in mind. And if and and that's what happens when you depart and deviate 
Um, and I think a helpful term here to understand is the term biblicism. Um, so this would be a, a negative way, <laughs> you know, uh, a sort of a warning um, of, of, of when you're, when you're developing theology and you're interpreting scripture, guard yourself against doing this. So what is biblicism? How would you define that so that folks can kind of get a picture of it and have it in their minds as they follow along? Well, I think one of the things that we could start out with is qualifying that we're not talking about being unbiblical when, when we when we say we we are looking interpretively, um, both systematically and thematically, or, or in terms of biblical theology, at being consistently biblical. Now, the for lack of a better term, bi- biblicist. Um, is confusing in that it claims to represent the Bible teaching, but it can go off on, uh, well, I don't know if you call it rabbit trails or can, can go off on lines of departure from the main theme of scripture. Um, and I wish we had more helpful terms to be honest with you <laughs> because, you know, we want to yeah. talk about the Bible is true. The we, we take the right. literal teaching of mm-hmm. scripture uh, but there's also, in terms of being literal about what the mm-hmm. scriptures teach, there is historical narrative, there is poetry, there's figurative mm-hmm. language. So mm-hmm. we can say, yes, we take the Bible as literally true, mm-hmm. but it is revealed to us and communicated to us through different avenues of human learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jesus told parables. And, uh, for example, some of the parables he talks about in reference to uh, the steward of the house. Jesus is not giving us a primary economic lesson there. (laughs) And I know that there are people who have taken that, and they've tried to build a biblical or biblicist uh, view Mm -hmm. of economics. Mm -hmm. And I I believe the Bible talks about economics in terms of uh, honesty, in terms of the Mm -hmm. universal uh, moral law of God. Mm -hmm. But Jesus' parables are not about uh, an economic theory. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe there's some other better examples. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of think of it. Um, well, there, I think there's, there's sort of like an on the face biblicism, um, that, uh, that you've kind of explained that, that, that allows for no other, um, I don't know, imposition it allows for no other direction other than you and the Bible and and what you can take from the Bible as you read through it. And so not taking into account anything that's been said historically, anything that's been said creedally, you know, in, in creeds and confessions of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost looks at those developments with derision as though what can the past and what the church has said in the past, what can it possibly say mm-hmm. to me? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's sort of an on-the-face um, biblicism. Um, I think and, that on the face example, I, I thought of another one while you were talking there. And that is uh, when Jesus says, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. If your hand right. causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, mm-hmm. Jesus is using exaggeration. That's a form of literary uh, uh, function. Uh, we use it mm-hmm. often. We often exaggerate. We exaggerate to our children Sometimes out of exasperation. I've told you a thousand times. Well, we're making an emphasis. We're not being literalist there. Mm -hmm. And so I think this Mm -hmm. idea about um, 
plucking your eye out or cutting your hand mm-hmm. off. We know mm-hmm. that that scripture in the universal law of God, the moral law of God, forbids dismemberment. Uh, mm-hmm. And so here is an example of, well, is the Bible going to be contradictory? Or no, is Jesus speaking in an understandable way that we get it? Mm-hmm. He's exaggerating to make a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the surface and the literalist mindset says that mm-hmm. you've just got to take the words for mm-hmm. their literal meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, uh, we're going to have our neighbors for dinner. Right. Well, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that, that that could be a problem. That could be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think literally when you think of uh, biblicism, it's 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 the idolatry of the letter, which yeah. sounds yeah. counterintuitive because don't we want to take the Bible seriously? Yeah. And yeah. we're and we're saying, okay, you take the Bible most seriously when you do actually what the Bible has asked you to do, which mm-hmm. is in scripture itself, we're we're given if not just permission, but we're actually given the expectation that what you're doing is you're you're taking scripture along with and the interpretation of scripture along with um you know God's people in the past, um, along with developments in theology that have come mm-hmm. through the church. So um we we see creedal formulations, we see um confessional formulations in scripture. One of the earliest ones mm-hmm. is in Deuteronomy. You know, mm-hmm. the Shema, Hero sure. Israel, the Lord our God, mm-hmm. the Lord is one. That's that's mm-hmm. one of the earliest creedal statements um mm-hmm. that would have been used as a as a summary and basis for mm-hmm. you know understanding God's uh mm-hmm. covenanting with his with his people. Mm-hmm. Um and the nature of God and, and the mm-hmm. exclusiveness of God and his claims and authority. You yeah. know, those those things go along with uh those uh, authoritative pronouncements. And mm-hmm. once again, recognizing that there are different types and styles of communicating uh, from God mm-hmm. through the Holy Scriptures. Uh, here's mm-hmm. another thing, and, and I want to say this cautiously, but with great conviction, and that is the individual conscience is not the final arbiter of the authority mm-hmm. of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that uh, we're we're getting into a whole new discussion. It's not unrelated, but, but yeah. it's a discussion that really needs to be developed further. But... Um, I think that's that is great against our individualistic sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As as you know, where we're at culturally, I think um, we've been inundated with an autonomous sort of streak mm-hmm. that basically gives us permission to to just be me and my Bible, mm-hmm. and nobody really can tell me that mm-hmm. I've I've gotten it wrong mm-hmm. or I've missed the mark because it's me and my Bible and. Um, and that's the purest form of interpretation, mm-hmm. shirking off what the church has said in the past, shirking off um, received categories of theology mm-hmm. and those kinds of things for this sort of divinely ordained hierarchy toward. and authority. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, now the, yeah. the church, the visible church is not infallible. The scriptures are infallible, mm-hmm. but there is a responsibility and there is mm-hmm. um, an order that Christ has set mm-hmm. down upon his church by which we may yeah. authoritatively preach and teach the whole counsel mm-hmm. of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So all that's to say um, that hopefully this demonstrates that we have no interest in being mavericks in our that's right. approach to the Scripture and mm-hmm. our in our development of theology. Um, I don't think that it's a more pure approach to, to the Bible where you just say, I'm going to... Th- just throw off 
you know, all the church has said, I'm just going to come at the Bible and just deal with what it says. I don't think that's a more pure approach to interpret. Actually, I think that's a very dangerous approach mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and can, um, and can really lead to some, some dangerous interpretations um, and dangerous dealings with the Bible. And so I have every intention. I think we have every intention of hedging in our approach to scripture um, with, uh, with helpful categories, which includes biblical, systematic, historic theology. Um, Creedal uh, and confessional. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maintaining Um, orthodoxy. And And that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that there's not room for, uh, secondary questions and considerations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I think the fact that you and I may disagree on some of those secondary things, like what was mm-hmm. life like in the Garden of Eden before original right. sin? You know, I have some ideas right. and thoughts about that that I enjoy considering, but they are mm-hmm. secondary to uh, more important categories of God's creating ex nihilo, that a- Adam mm-hmm. and Eve were God's image bearers. They were morally accountable mm-hmm. agents. They were real people. Uh, you know, things of that nature. Th- those are primary. They're carried throughout mm-hmm. Scripture. Other things mm-hmm. we may give some thoughts to comparing what life in the garden may have been like in reference to the promises that we have of what heaven will be like, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's I think, edifying and helpful mm-hmm. and encouraging mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. consider some of those things. But within the parameters of right. these are non-negotiable. That's Some right. of these things yeah. are non-negotiable. They're categories yeah. that are absolute and established and mm-hmm. that uh, they must hold us in bounds. Right, right. Well, um, I think a lot of these things we're, we, we'll, we'll touch on uh, more and more in depth as we develop. It's just the way it is. Um, so hopefully we've given a, a, a good blanket and foundation uh, for the significance of hermeneutics, even some things to guard against, um, and and some things to think about um, for uh, for further discussion and, and conversations. But we have gone long, and uh, it's been <laughs> a good discussion. I think it's I think it's time for us to uh, to sign off and and um, and say goodbye. All right. Well, I enjoyed the discussion today. It's only uh, gives me more desire to be able to talk about these things, particularly. Uh, I comes to mind a, a wonderful phrase by um, Van Til, the self-attesting Christ of Scripture. That's our focus. That's what uh, we desire that everything uh, lead to and that uh, the center be. Um, so until uh, next time, I'll say doxa theo. All right. Well, I do want to direct people um, to our Facebook page. Um, as the time of this recording, um, our, our website is still under development. Um, so we're hoping that uh, gets launched uh, soon. But the, the um, URL for that will be uh, ncconvo.com. Um, so you'll be able to find more resources there, articles and um, blog posts. And uh, you'll be able to find our audio and video there as well. Thanks for joining us, and we will uh, talk again next time.